0: Sasha's a mighty fine One will up the table, And he killed a friend of mine Oh! oh.
1: And that marvellous singing came from a group of Echo Boys in Cork. A group, I suppose, of about 20 who are with me here at the moment. First of all, though, in case anybody n- doesn't know who the Echo Boys of Cork are, let's hear how people will know you. What's the Echo call? Who's best at doing it?
0: Echo, evening, Echo, six o'clock, Echo!
1: <laughs> right, that tops it all right. Tell me your name. Are you always called Willem Wolf? Yeah. Any, any, any nickname? Chukun. Tell me why you called Chukun. Because I get a skinhead. A haircut, is it? Yeah. You haven't a very tight one at the moment. <laughs> Who cuts it for you? Uh, Fitcher or something spangled. Is that? And is he good at cutting? Yeah, yeah. 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 How often do you go? I go there every two months. And uh, you wouldn't like to have your hair down long at all, like a lot of the lads have? No. No, it's much nicer that way, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Tell me your name. Gerard Daly. And how old are you, Gerard? Nearly 13. You're 12. Yeah, 12. Right. <laughs> have you any nickname? Yeah. What? Robot. Tell me why are you called Robot? Because a cow went over me head and it just got up and walked away. You're joking, aren't you? No. <laughs> but you must have been hurt, were you? There was... A few bruises, all right. Yeah. In other words, you're a tough man, Robot, are you? Yeah. And who gave you the name, Robot? Taco Keenan.
2: That was Moira Namuruku talking to Robot. He's now more often called Jared Daly and was with some of his mates. It was recorded in Cork in 1977, and the call of the Echo Boy was still very much a part of the cityscape. This programme looks at some of those newspaper traditions in both Cork and Dublin, what it meant to be one of the lads that sold the newspapers, ...and what the paper meant to their customers.
1: What age were you when you started selling echoes in the beginning? Me. Yes, chuckle. Eight years of age. And you, Robot? Five. You didn't. I did. Are you sure? Positive. Yeah. And tell me, how did you work out change at five? Mister sister definitely do me there. Did he? Yeah. But at five, I bet you you made an odd mistake. Did you end the change? I did. Would you get much money, if you don't mind my asking you, out of selling echoes? I only get seven bob. Is that seven bob or what? Seven shillings. Out, in the week, is it? No, for the day going round the town. And... at the cafes. Uh, yeah, so that's seven shillings every day. Yeah. And would you do it the six days in the week? I do. Yeah. And would you give all that money then up to the master? Yeah. Are you sure? I give half it to the mum and half it to the master. Oh, that's very good. So you don't waste any of it, like, do you? No. Yeah? What about you, Robot? What do you do with your money? How much would you make now in a day? About 15 bob. Would you? And what would you do with it? I give my sister a um, motorbike and I give the master
0: yeah. some of it
2: too. I caught up with Robot in the last few weeks, and he told me what it was like to be an Echo Boy in Cork in the 1970s. It was 25 years ago, I was
3: like, and... Uh, You'd see some of the characters, and it's, you know, the young echo boys, like, and uh, some of these fellas now you'd look at today, and they haven't changed a bit, a lot of them, like, you know, and uh, well, it's good to look back on, like, mm-hmm. because at um, that time, no, there wasn't much happening for young fellas, like, you know, and uh, selling the newspapers at that time was a quite, a, kind of a family thing, like, you know, and uh, there was a lot of unemployment in Cork at the time, like, and of um, course, to do anything to make a few pounds, like. Where was your approach, my patch used to be around um, from Albert Plunkett Street up to the top of Oliver, up to the top of the Grand Parade. And from the end of Albert Plunkett Street to the top, really, that's where all the pubs were. Like, you know, you'd have um, Clancy's now and all these pubs in the Bodega and all and all these of pubs in the Long Valley and all these. Like you'd get your echoes in Bowling Green Street on a hand truck, right? You'd wheel the hand truck all the way down to Fords. That's about two or three miles now from here, like, but they'd give your echoes early. You go down to Fords then, and all the workers from each Department in Fords, they would to out one of their fellas they'd buy, to buy the echoes and bulk, you know, for his section. He'd come out, he'd buy 30 for their lads. He'd sell about five or 600 papers. But that corner was mad sought after, you know. Um, they all used to be mad to try and get the corner, like.
2: And how could you get the corner?
3: Well, it was up to your, up to, like, we saved this fella, had the corner now. And he got sick. He'd have to get somebody to cover the corner for him. If he didn't get somebody to cover the corner, somebody else would take it over. So he'd have to get somebody to rely on, like. So what was the hierarchy
2: chair? I mean, Omanis would, would, would sell
3: them out, would they? Or well, they'd would supply... You like, what... The way the man is... your man is, the is that, they'd supply you with the echo. When you when you finished then, you'd come up and pay them, and they'd, they'd give you a cut out of it, like, you know? Now, be it only 3 or £4 a day, or £5 a day, whatever. But, I mean... <laughs> that I know as well what we at and for like.
2: Colonel Creedon is a well-known Cork author and he grew up within the sight and sound of the Echo Boys at work. I called in for a chat
4: and a cup of coffee. <coughs> Sorry, that's it. A... Good on. People's expectations of employment have changed dramatically since, well, in, in the last 20 years definitely, but, you know, in the 50s... Forties, um, people are more educated. Maybe it's, it'll be more difficult to find people to sell uh, echoes on the street, and you sort of see a whole new breed come in, and that'll be the the big issue. And you know, it, it's not actually echo wise but it's it's a whole new level of selling newspapers on the street, and uh, the whole thing of you know your shop space being like miles of concrete in asphalt, and it's really the the, the pitch face oh, of trading at various corners, you know, as you start losing the sound of one guy, you're picking up the sound of the next guy coming towards you and diminishing. uh, There was a very specific corner in Cork called the Colosseum Corner because there's a Colosseum cinema down there. There was, and it was really the highway to the city because the only roads in came past it and the only road out. And, um, I mean, those because I think uh, it's a very noble thing, you know, the whole thing of taking the news to the street. I, I just think it's inspiring, you know, the whole thing.
2: This is a recording from 1966 of the famous Johnny Kelleher, who sold to the busy traffic at the Coliseum Corner for many years and through many changes.
5: Well, my mother went to the papers first in around 1920, and we have been at the paper business in the Coliseum area ever since. My mother, my uncle who was in America, my other uncle who was in England, and myself, we have kept up the name in the paper trade at that particular area for approximately 50 years. When I started selling newspapers at the Coliseum after the last World War, traffic was very light. And I had just stood at the Coliseum, near the Coliseum cinema and saw it mostly to pedestrians or people on bicycles. But as the years went on and traffic began to get very heavy, it was necessary for the corporation to bring in a one-way traffic system. And as a result of it, all traffic has to come to the Coliseum corner to enter the city. And, and so doing built up my trade as the years went on but it was necessary for me to get out on the island in the center of the road and service the cars as they pass by people who pass by in cars the majority of them pay me on a weekly system more pay me a month in advance or at the end of the month a lot of people pay nightly but uh, i find myself that when i keep counting things at the end of the week that I find I'm never out if anything, I have a few more than I should have. I don't drink or smoke. I think that has a big say in it. But I I keep fairly regular hours. I don't live any sort of high life or anything like that. And uh, other than that, I don't do anything special. No special training. No pep pills or anything like that.
4: The Echo
3: Buys are, are absolutely vital in the sense that they cover all our main arteries in and out of town and um, main centres such as Sunbeam Woolsey, Henry Ford's, Dunnops, Coliseum Corner, Skyscraper, County Hall.
1: Is it possible to say how many Echos they actually dispose of in the short space of time the Echo is on sale?
3: Well, on a given day when sales are at a good average, uh, Cork City Echo Buys can do something in the region of 12,000 copies.
1: That's good going, isn't Not it? Bad, yes. mm-hmm. A point that strikes many people coming to Cork is the extreme youth of many of the sellers. Well,
3: we don't uh, operate directly with news buys. We operate through a shopper system, and the shopper actually controls
4: the buys so that we don't, in fact,
2: know the ages as such. That was Dick Coveley, the distribution manager with the Evening Echo, in an interview recorded with RTE Television in 1977. Ted Crosby is the recently retired chairman of the
6: Examiner Group who published The Echo in Cork. The Echo was founded in in 1802, 1892. And, of course, at that stage, it was sold very much on the streets. Coming back to The Echo Boys, (coughs) uh, I suppose their best um, uh, thing for Cork... Is the, their cry of the of the paper? At one stage, we used to uh, uh, we used to run a, a, a competition as to which had the best cry, and the best cry with the best natural cork accents. Which uh, there was, uh, but it was like a baby competition. You offended by giving a prize to anyone. You offended too many, so we dropped. Them. <laughs> well, I mean, there's there's, Mike, there's big Michael uh, at the entrance to Princeton Street. He's been there for God knows how long. Uh, he's very incensed because he sells the examiner at the moment outside the Bank of Ireland uh, uh, from, I suppose, 8 o'clock in the morning until about uh, 12. and he The examiner ran all the other papers outside the Bank of Ireland. And then he comes and he has his lunch and he collects his echo and then he moves his pitch down to down to the entrance to prince Street but he's very he's, he is very incensed at the moment because that particular branch the bank of Ireland, has been sold and he's worried about his pitch and there's a nice uh, he has a very good a very good uh, stand stand there and, and he is genuinely worried that any new owner may, may object to him selling papers there why they should would be quite unjust there
7: well I do the morning papers. At the lower end of party street and I do the evening papers at the the, the upper end of party street. Have
2: I a customer, yes. So what are your customers like? Tell me.
7: I have very nice customers and all my customers look after me very well and they treat me very well at Christmas and
2: So they they know that you're here, they can see you. you don't have to call anymore. But did you call in the past? Oh yes.
7: Would oh, you give us that
2: famous shout? <laughs> Echo, evening
7: echo, echo, evening echo. That's my call, the, the yeah. people
2: know your face, though, don't they? The
7: people know my face. There was a lot of papers sold at the time of the John F. Kennedy murder, when John F. Kennedy was uh, assassinated on the 22nd of November 1963.
2: Where were you selling your papers then?
7: Up outside um, a place called Cavendish's at the corner by Burton's. In the old days, Princess, which is known as Princess Street today. It, and Princess Street was the first pedestrian street in Cork. The very first street that got pedestrianised in Cork. It's the popular title? What, what sells best? A lot of the older people would buy the paper, buy the Echo. But a lot of the teenagers then would go there. But of course, the Echo has come on very good in the last couple of years with all these supplements that they're putting in. I mean, put it this way, you get Monday nights, you get the gates... Put it this way, Tuesday night you get the the free ads. Put it this way, Wednesday night you get the grassroots. Put it this way, Thursday night you will get the uh, talk of the town. Put it this way, Friday night you get starters. Put it this way, Saturday night, the last night of the week, you get the TV for the week.
2: I went to see Eilish De Barra up on the heights of Blarney Street. She had a few stories of her own for me, and a few from previous Echo readers.
8: I will never forget a few little things, and one of them would be coming along by the pavilion or the pav as we call it in Cork, or coming on Christmas, and they had white marble steps, you know, going into it was a beautiful restaurant and all that time, and there was a young fellow had his pitch there, you see, and asleep on them cold white marble steps was his little brother. So the young fella, you see, it's not like now when they're staying on school and they're going to college, but from a tender age we were only waiting to be fourteen to get out and to help, you know, the in the homes. So all these little boys that were echo boys would be on that road to make the few bob because even like a shilling, if you only had a shilling that time. You could get a bit of dinner, you know, or get something. The children wouldn't be hungry. So one young fella brought you the mother is Shilling, it kept them going. The first story I heard now of the Echo, and this is going back to 1900, and it was the year that Victoria came to Cork. Queen Victoria came into Cork. I know, if you think we were national minded, they were all down, waving their uh, Union Jacks, but there was one fellow, the coal came on Cork fella, that went against her. But there was, they said that the examiner were never national minded, or, or the echo. Crosby was never, never, in all, all our ways here, never national minded. And the ad came out on the paper. Now, I don't know if it was examiner or his echo. I forget, no, I think it, it could have been probably, but the, the ad came. Queen Victoria. P-I-S-S-E-D over Patrick's Bridge at half as five yesterday evening. Now, it should have been passed over. <laughs> Patrick's Bridge, and there was a mistake, they said, and it came out P-I-S-S-E-D, and all the people were saying, "This a Republican got a job in the echo place. <laughs>
9: and you'd be going on like that all day till you sold your papers in and out of the pubs all around Dublin all around O'Connell Street all around Broad Cay there used to be a place called the Colburn as well it was a little restaurant and people used to go in and out of it but there was a little side hatch in the laneway where we used to get we used to get hot dogs they called them hot dogs at the time and they were penny hapenny and the woman that worked in there she actually lived down where we live, in corporation Buildings. Josie Flood, her name was. And she used to look at us, some of the nights would be freezing cold, going around, your hands would be freezing and all. And you go up to Josie at the hatch, and she give you out the big hot dog. Which, like now, it's like a big batter burger. And we used to eat that. We'd be all freezing, sitting there, and all the newspaper sellers. Hands, feet and all used to be freezing. And that was a great comfort for
2: us. Joe Dowling sold papers on the streets of Dublin in the 1950s.
9: I used to be home around three o'clock. You get a cup of tea whatever it was. Then you get the half a dollar off your ma. You go up and get your thirteen papers. And to be erased from the hurdle Office, the even hurdle Office there in the back of Abbey Street there. Where the British Home Stores is now down there, that's where they used to shop them. And to be erased to all the different pubs, you see all the young running to different pubs. They get into the pubs and sell the papers, They'd get back and get another thirteen. I think it made two shillings or something, or three shillings, on, on the papers. And that went on all day, till around seven or eight that night. And you'd probably end up making, it'd be about a pound or 150, I'd say. But, and you'd bring that home, to your ma. You know, and that's the way it was years ago, you know what I mean? 150 was a lot of money years ago, when there was, there was ten altogether in family, my father and mother. And we'd give the money to my ma, but the half a dollar was always kept... Would you keep any money for yourself? Like, would you... you would. you keep about three or six. Yeah. That's all you get, you know what I mean? I don't remember my dad selling papers, but my dad did sell papers. My dad sold papers on the Butt Bridge, the old Butt Bridge now, and he sold all around O'Connor Street, which I showed you a photograph of my father on O'Connor Bridge, selling his papers. He did. He sold papers for... It was six to, well, no, I think back now, it's 62 years. And he always talked about years ago when he was selling the papers on Butt Bridge... When the traffic used to come across Buttbridge, they'd stop pulling me dad and the likes of Johnny Mean, Nipper Coley, all these people that sold the papers years and years ago. They were famous people, you know. Mail, mailer press, press mail or heard all of that, you know.
10: The trick was, down to Princess Street as quick as you could after school, which meant running, you know, there was no bus, so you just, you didn't have bus fare, so you ran as fast as you, you could down to get your couple of dozen readers out on the streets and hit the pubs and hit the streets before the other guy.
2: Bill Cullen started his business career selling heralds on the streets of Dublin in the
10: 1940s and 50s. He is now chairman and owner of Renault Distributors Ireland. And that's what it was all about, speed, and uh, we practised, we were all very, very fit young then, and... Um, we call ourselves Indian names. So you had Geranimo, and you had Crazy Horse, and you had Sitting Bull. And I had this wonderful name that I got from a film in the early 50s called Taza, Son of Coaches. That was me. And in this film, Taza, Son of Coaches, a fellow called Jeff Chandler used to run 100 miles a day. So my goal was always to get down to force, get the papers forced, get out first, and sell more than anybody else. And you go home to your man in the evening, maybe two or three shillings, profit, and you're you a champion for her, you know, and I'm talking about a family with 14 kids, with my father working on the docks sporadically, and my mother selling fruit down in Henry Street, so the income was badly needed, and every couple of bodged by home um, was a terrific achievement. And uh, that's what selling newspapers was all about in the 40s and the 50s, bringing home a few bob to the family. <laughs> Noel
2: Magner is a well-known Cork promoter and author.
11: The Echo Boys... Have been part and parcel also of the of the fibre of Cork, right, for many generations now. And they always, uh, successive generations seem to have uh, a universal call. And um, they were well organised by, we say, people like um, the late uh, John O'Malley, right, who um, would have been recognised as the um, one of the main uh, distributors of the Echo in the north side of Cork City. And as a matter of fact, uh, even um, right up to the minute, now right? uh, Johnny Manny, a most respected man, uh, his family are still involved in the newspaper business, so that is a very, very long link with your Mannies and the uh, and the echo right going back, we say maybe uh, perhaps in excess of seventy or eighty years at this point all right
3: well I just the echoes told him like you know they deal with themselves. I distribute the paper for the pack exam and evening echo, you know.
1: How efficient are they?
3: Well, they are very efficient, the echo is a cock, and good hard workers. You know, they get up at an early hour in the morning, they don't finish until late at night. They don't let you down at all? Oh, I never let you down. They're is... they they're bone with their honour leg.
1: Would you be a bit perturbed that even youngsters of ten would be out selling on the street? Well,
3: I was selling papers myself on the street at seven years of age, eight years of age, so it was all my friends, now the Elder Echo boys, and it never done us any harm. Actually, it helped us educational-wise and otherwise.
1: So it's a kind of a tradition?
3: Oh, it's a tradition. And being it develops your brain, you know, and it gives you the sense of the outside world more respect for it and everything else.
6: Problem I would think from the newspapers' point of view was to get paid, and that uh, then this is where Johnny Manny, the uh, historic king of the Echo Boys, whose grandson is still in that in that John is still in that job. Uh, came into his own, and he organised the boys, made sure that the publishers were paid uh, on the day. And made sure that the boys uh, were kept within the bounds of their selling areas, and that they didn't run rampant around the place. So the thing has changed substantially, and a lot more. A lot of the evening paper sale has moved out into the shops now. The stories about the Echo Boys, of course, mm. are legion. That's right. Jack Lynch came in, and he met uh, he met Johnny Kelleher. At the end, at that stage, you could come in the lower road and turn and turn left to the Coliseum, And uh, 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 Jack bought an echo from his car. He was a teacher at the time. And Kelleher said, "It's not in the echo," Mister Lynch he said. But Ringy is dead. So he was alone. Uh, he, he he informed he informed the great the, the great Mister Lynch of the great the passing of the of the great the great Christie Ring.
2: The late Jack Lynch was one of Johnny Kelleher's 800 daily customers.
11: Great club. They were part of the city, part of the scene. They still are to a a certain extent, but they were controlled by one, oh, he was a legendary figure called Johnny Mahoney. Johnny was known as the king of the Echo Boys, and he must have had 30 or 40 of them in his employ. And I think he he had a great rapport with the boys, and he in turn with the Cork Examiner, because there was never any sign of blackguarding or any sign of... Little boys running away with the money. Johnny had great control over them and they had a great thrust in him and he and them. Uh, when I came to Dublin first, I heard the young fellas shouting Hagel the Mail, but I thought the Cork equal was a bit more melodic.
12: But the thing about selling newspapers around the, around the, the city then was you needed a licence. And uh, if you're caught out a licence, you were summons to court. And I obviously remember this policeman from Star Street. He was known as the Badge Man. Oh, he was a notorious man, he was. He used many disguises to trap us, trap the newsboys. Like, he wore different coats. He never wore a uniform or anything like that. He was just, like, in civilian clothes. And basically what he'd do, you'd be going around, and he he basically dared to hunt down newsboys that didn't have a licence. But you'd be going along this thing, and you'd hear someone say, ''Hey, sunshine, give us a newspaper.'' And he'd say, Herald, and you'd be handing out the Herald, and he'd just grab your wrist and he'd hold you. And he'd say, what is your name and address? Give me your name and address. And basically, you, you, was, you had to give me your name and address, and next of all, he'd, he'd appear on the door, summons the court.
2: Terry Fagan also sold papers on the streets of Dublin in the 1960s. It wasn't easy.
12: Yeah, well, like, basically, when you were going around the streets, like when you got your newspapers, you can just imagine the back of the evening, Herald, that was at, at two o'clock. I mean, there was hundreds of newsboys queuing for the papers. Like, when I mean, they got the papers. It was scattered throughout the streets, forced into the pubs, forced through the streets, called Rour uh, Evening Herald, you know. And at that time, too, you had the Herald Press, like, you know, the mail. And you'd be shouting, Herald Press, Evening on Mail. Like, you'd be shouting around, like, you know. And to get the attention of the people, you might say, Man stabbed or a racial. Man stab. And then, like, you know, you got the attention. Like, you know, it was just a bit of a, a gimmick to get some of the wider the papers. But you can imagine running through the streets... Newsboys running every direction trying to beat him into pubs and some of the pubs that you went into didn't like you going into them like some of the upmarket pubs that was in around the city then in those days you'd be going through the pub and you, before you'd actually you'd just peep in the door and such a barman was on you try to get through the pub real quick selling the newspapers because if he caught you he was likely to come out with a dirty big not you know, a big cloth dirty big Cloth, he had been be wiping the tables with and give you a clatter of across the neck to get you out the door of the pub, you know. So basically, you, you, he'd swipe out at you and you'd run out the door. And you might hear the odd docker roaring and someone roaring, ah, leave the chiseler alone. And I mean, like you can just imagine in the 50s, there was young lads going selling newspapers in their bare feet, especially in the summertime. You'd see them in the summertime because it was easier to run along the concrete. Yeah, but it was the headline that really sold the newspaper, like, you know what I mean? And, like, in any way, we sell newspapers, we didn't know what was on the headlines, we'd, we'd invented our own headlines, like, you'd hear other newsboys, uh, like, shouting out names and things, but like, when you try and copy them, like, you know, man's head's found in lane, like, they'd be roaring. like, you know, but it'd be just something to attract attention. Like, because when you're out selling newspapers and that, like, you know, like, there was a little bit of petty thievery then. Like, you might be down there, so you might snatch an apple, or you might go into a shop to buy something, you take a few sweets. And that was, that was the thing, like, but a lot of some boys got caught taking sweets and were sent away to industrial schools for, you know, for the sweets, like, you know. But that's the way Dublin was then in the, then the 50s, like, I mean, you were brought in front of the children's court in Dublin Castle. And I remember an umpteen times being standing in that court up in front of the judge and I remember going in and the thing about going into Dublin Castle into, into the thing was the fireplace it was this big Georgian type of fireplace big marble fireplace and when you went in you walked up along this red carpet right and the judge was facing you, and the, the court clerks were facing him and you had the, the seats you were made walk up and you made to stand and you were standing beside this fireplace and the fireplace would be about a couple of feet away from you but there was always type of tough burning in it right and you'd be standing there and the legs would be burdened off you while you were waiting the judge to make up his decision what, what was going to happen to you, you know. You could feel the heat in your legs and you, you'd be moving down your hand along your leg, trying to say, you know, rubbing your leg, and, you know. And you might hear the, the old policeman that was in the back, court. stay still there, young lad. Stay still, you might roll up a thing, up along the, the, the courtroom, at you like. But, like, I've been in the court and I've seen lads being sent away. And basically, when you were sent away by the judge, you were brought down down the stairs screaming and I've seen boys being taken down that stairs in that children's court screaming by these big court officials who caught them in a bear hug who lifted them up in a bear hug when they were sentenced to the industrial schools they were actually they would scream for their mothers but I remember sitting in that in children's court and you were waiting to be brought up and you'd hear the screams of the children being taken down that staircase and to be locked into that basement, to be waited to be transported to the industrial schools, like, it was terrible. And you didn't know your fate until you went up, where well, you're going to be one of these boys, like, you know. And I know a lot of my friends went through that system, the screams and that they were taken from that court and locked in that basement, because I was in into myself. And I know what it's like, you know. And I remember I was being sent away, and I never forget the man. He was a director of the Belvedere News Bias Club. Jerry Walsh was his name. He came and he pleaded, for, pleaded, pleaded with the judge not to send me away. And I was saved from the industrial skills by him.
10: The Belvedere uh, Newsboys Club was uh, run by the Jesuits. And I had the opportunity in the early 50s, 52, 53, of seeing one of the prefects of the school who had to come down at least once a week and give a dig out with the gurriers from Garner Street. And one of the fellas teaching his boxing down there in those days in the early 50s was a young fella called Tony O'Reilly who went on to sell an awful lot more newspapers than the rest of us put together, didn't he? You had regulars when you had a pitch. I had a pitch outside Guild's Pub on the corner of Russell Street in the North Circular Road just as you go down to Crow Park and you had regulars there who'd always... Come to you eventually on the way into the pub at seven o'clock and buy their paper off you, or at six o'clock coming up out of the uh, wherever they worked. Um, one of one of my regulars on a on a semi regular basis, <laughs> known the man was a fellow called Brendan Bean. He used to visit his mother there in Russell Street, and he'd always come over and get a paper off you. And I can remember one time he gave me a half a crown for a paper that was two shillings. Very fond of kids and always looked after uh, people like that. Very generous man in many many ways. Uh, so Brendan Bean was one of my regulars, if you could call him that. And um, I suppose the biggest day I remember, and I can't remember what was in the newspaper, must get with the final. But the biggest sales we had were the sales of the evening press the night it came out in 1950. I'd I guess 52 or 54, early fifties. And the night I came out, we sold them to beat the band. And I even said that to me mad at night that this paper is uh, is going to do the do the evening mail out of it, which is what happened. The evening mail went. And uh, now we're sitting here today and the evening press is gone and the Irish press is gone. Back in the 50s, I mean, everyone read the paper. You got the Herald and you read it cover to cover, including the Hatch, Match and the Spatch columns, which were the births, marriages and deaths, And that's the way they were called in those days. And everyone, you read all the debts and all that stuff religiously, my man and I, before he went to bed. What
1: would you like to be a um, robot when you grow up to be a big man? I'd like t- to be working in a church, a priest. Would you really? Yes. And what's, what church do you like best of all? The Holy Trinity.
3: Oh, there was great respect and there was great loyalty amongst the young fellows too, like. You know, they'd never kind of um, do bad things to their own, and they'd never rob their, rob their own, like. Like, I could come in after a hair day, you know, a couple of years ago, and if I was soaking wet, or, you know, I could throw the money up on the table and they'd check it, they'd work you know, they'd help you out checking it, like, or whatever. And, uh, you know, they wouldn't rob, it, they wouldn't rob, from, rob from me or anything, like. But it's a different generation even for this today. If you throw the money up there now, it'd be gone in two minutes. You know, that's the type of fellas you're dealing with you now, like. A couple of years ago, I got a belt of a car, we were playing ball, and... Uh, I got a smack of a car, but it didn't seem to have any effect on me, so I just got up and continued to play ball again. But that name stuck me, stuck by me for years, and I've been trying to get rid of it for years, and still, in and all, all, like I didn't hear it now for a long time. And every couple of months, some friend would come up and he'd say, Hello, Rob, what I didn't see you for years, you know, I'm back from England. I was in England for years. I left England a couple of years ago when you were inside in town selling the Echo. You know, and um, we didn't see it. do this little call, you or what, and things like that, you know.
8: But, you I tell you what I was used for. Uh, births would be born, children would be born at home. And there would be no going to hospitals. It was too pun to the local nurse. And for that, your baby was born, she came, she washed them. She minded him, and I, she was telling me after, she often burned them on in the newspaper. And then she, we used to say, no, and we were all into reading. Isn't that lovely?
2: And in the 1970s, the echo became one of the many targets for Hall's Pictorial Weekly.
7: Echo. keep echo.
12: Echo. Thanks very
4: much,
7: Hullstock. Thanks very much. Echo. Cock Evening Echo. Halls
12: Pictorial Weekly Incorporating the Provincial Vindicator. Cock Evening Hall's Echo. Halls Pictorial Weekly Incorporating hey. the Provincial Vindicator. get off, boy. This is my pitch. Halls Pictorial
6: Weekly Incorporating the Provincial Vindicator. What well, sort of a paper oh. is that, anyway? This is only for the better people.
12: Halls Pictorial Weekly Incorporating oh, the Provincial Vindicator. Nerve, that's what you have? Hall's Pictorial Weekly incorporating the Provincial Vindicator. Halls Pictorial Weekly incorporating the Provincial Vindicator.
11: People were always interested in, in Mutton Jeff, the, the cartoon people, all right? And there was a firm belief amongst race goers in Cork, all right, that in every episode, right? And it was a nightly episode. In every episode of Mutton Jeff, there was a tip for a horse. Now, the tip would be more covert than overt but people uh, had developed a great expertise in deciphering exactly the name of that horse right now whether whether that happened or not right it is part of the folklore of the echo right that in actual fact if you wanted the winner of the 230 at Folkestone or something like that, it was more than likely inside there in the um, in, in, in the modern Jeff um, be- so it was reading between the lines and pick yourself a winner
9: Heard mail, a press press mail, or heard all of that you know, and that was a, a tradition that tradition's not there anymore it's, you don't hear many people calling their papers now, the pride in them was that it, it was a honest shilling it was a hard shilling that people were working for, and it was a cold chilling because you were out in all the weathers. There's no canopies now like what the even heralds have now. There's none of that. You were standing out in in the hail, rain, and snow, and it was a hard shilling for people to make. The police used to sort of be a bit be hard on us with selling the papers, you know, because you, you used to have to have a license, you know, news vendors' license, all of that. And they were a little bit hard, you know, some of them would move and yawn and just that, you know, and you'd be sort of on the go all the time. There was a fella, James E. F- James e. Foden, and he- James E. Foden, I think his name's. and he's still outselling Jamesy e. is to this day. Jamesy e. was a great old skin too, and you'd have other fellas then, Ike, lived up around America, and he used to go around and say, RAS, 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 all of that, you know, you wouldn't know what he was saying, but everyone knew him. Ike Murray, I think his name was. He lived up around the market, Arman Square area there. And he was a character. He used to go down with the cap and... Rah, 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 you know, all of that. You know, all these people, there was great characters to sell papers, you know. Great men and there was a couple of women still sell papers now on the stands and all of that. And they did then years ago.
3: Ute reach, is now opening up and things like that, you know, in, in their area. Where they actually get paid for going to school, like a lot of them. So, I mean, they wouldn't have to come out and work and things like that, you know, come out and do papers and things like that. Like. And a lot of their families too would need it, like. It's a lot of people too would be ashamed to have their sons and daughters doing it, you know. Over the years, like for the last 20 years, I've been working there, now you know, in the training centre. And uh, we look after kind of um, the same kind of young fellas, you know. Young fellas that wouldn't have got on in school, that doesn't well in school, like, you know, turn no fault of his own, like. And um I got on from there really, I started off as one of the young fellas there and walked my way up through the ranks like.
0: Hey, <laughs> the they go boys off the road, they go swimming and then hold it. And In the black hey, up the ones and the boys are Blackpool boys are very small Up against the zombie hey, up the mall, the boys up the ones and the boys are Hattie Barry says groupings They are busting in the seams He up the ones and the boys are